now recording with no beard. Today I'm going to do a quick beer review and then I have some specific questions that were asked to Elena and I about parenting. So let me go to the fridge and bust out a beer. So I have in front of me the Real Ale Brewing Company Brewhouse Brown Ale. Um, it shouldn't be a surprise or news to anyone that Real Ale Brewing Company in Blanco, Texas is my favorite brewing company in Texas. Um, and it's probably my favorite brewing company, period. I absolutely love everything these guys do. Unpasteurized beer, unfiltered beer. Um, they're not in my backyard, per se, about 45 minutes west of where I'm located in South Austin. But if you visit me in Austin, we're going to go to Relo. We're going to go to the tap room. We're going to drink copious amounts of beer. We're going to have a great time. The tap room's beautiful. Um, people there are, are fantastic. Um, and this brew house brown ale is one of the first three beers that the brewery started um, making at their conception 20 years ago. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary um, this year and in the upcoming months. And I've poured myself some of the brew house brown ale. I mean, this is a, a solid, opaque brown ale. It's really, really not easy to see through. Um, when I started drinking beer as a young lad, uh, brown ales were definitely, uh, maybe surprisingly, were, were what I jumped in on. I've since kind of departed from them, been more into Belgians and, and stouts as of late. But um, returning back to some grassroots beers that I absolutely love. And so I wanted to spend some time um, you know, getting reacquainted with this brew house brown, and uh, you know, I thought that it would be a great opportunity to review it and, and give a shout out to Real Ale and all the great beer that they produce. Um, when you when you smell the beer, the first thing that I get is a lot of uh, toffee flavor, um, maybe a, a, some chocolate, kind of like a Maybe not, you know, just shy of, of a, a dark chocolate. It's not, it's got some sweetness to it, and that's kind of the toffee smell, but definitely some, some chocolate. Not really a, a coffee flavor. It's a little too sweet for that. I'm, uh, I'm not going to deprive myself any longer. I'm going to go ahead and take a sip. So the two things that brought this beer to my attention very early in my beer drinking and really latched me into an infatuation with Real Ale. This beer and their Full Moon, which at the time was a, a pale rye ale, and now it's a, a rye IPA. Um, but the thing that really brought me into this one was its smoothness. I mean, it's just incredibly easy to drink. There's, you know, 30 IBUs, but you, for an individual who's used to drinking something other than lagers or, you know, uh, pilsners or things of those sort, it's not a very hoppy beer. It's not a very bitter beer. Um, 
and it's got a smooth, dry finish. It, it doesn't linger with some bitterness. It doesn't leave um, a stench in your mouth. I know a couple brown ales that uh, will remain anonymous that leave you feeling like you drank something really potent and you want to scrape it off your tongue. And that's definitely not how the Real Ale Brewhouse Brown is. It goes down smooth. It is um, very, I think it's a very casual beer. This is the kind of beer that you're excited about drinking every single day. You know, you're you're not breaking the bank for it. It's not some special bomber or something. This is something you pick up on your way home. You can combine it with just about anything that you're cooking. You can cook with it. Um, you're going to be very, very happy with this beer as a everyday go-to. Open the fridge. You can be very excited to see it. Um, you know, not something decadent. It's not going to, you know... Uh, drive this huge special flavor it's not a niche From the it's just a great standard beer while scenes from the past rise before me just watching the bubbles in my beer and i'm seeing in the road that i travel a road paved with heartaches and tears Seeing the past that I've wasted While watching the bubbles in my beer A vision of someone who loved me Brings a long silent tear to my eye As I think of a heart that I've broken And of the golden chance so I was asked to record a podcast with my wife about the three things that we wish people had told us before we had kids. So I have Elena here with me. Hi, everyone. And we are going to take turns telling the three things we wish that we had been told. <laughs> yes, that's right. The but three. hadn't been about hadn't having children. Been. Please, what's what's the first thing that you would like to mention, Joshua? No, you go first. <laughs> what's the first thing? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind for me is I wish people had told me to have a second child as soon as possible after having the first child, which might sound kind of strange. And it's the advice I could give to someone because we did, in fact, have number two, our pride and joy little Judah Bean, a mere 15 months after having our first um, but it has been a blessing and a joy I would never have considered and never would have planned for. So even though I don't know a whole lot of people I, that would have talked to me prior to having Kenzie and said have two close together, that's something I wish they would have told me. I would have missed out on the joy of seeing them not just growing together, but um, helping to one another to grow. There you go. That's my number one. I don't have any comments to give on that one. My first... That probably means he wishes we didn't have them so close together. No. Uh, my first thing I wish people had told us before we had kids or right after we got pregnant is that you will never be ready for kids. Um, this is something that we've heard quite a few times after we've had kids, but we didn't hear it before we had kids that... Um, 
I don't know that it's necessarily unique to our generation, but we're very self-centered and we're very concerned with our own focuses and our own goals and our own um, careers and progress and um, life tracks. And you will, even when you think that you have it on the map for we're going to have kids, you really cannot be ready to have your life interrupted um, ad nauseum by crying little children. Unless you're a wife and then a husband is a great practice. You could be ready as long as you get married. So you're saying that... Our five years of marriage prior to kids that, yeah. I had it in the bag. I was prepared. You were prepared. (laughs) You were career-wise prepared for our child, our first child. Heck yeah. Okay. No learning curve here. All right. All right, are you done with your number one? I'm done with number one. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so the second thing that I would say is uh, that people did not tell me um, is just how loud children are. They're loud when they're happy. They're loud when they're sad. Somehow they're loud when they're sleeping. They eat loud. Um, they bring loud toys into your home. And it just feels like the noise never stops, which isn't always a bad thing. But I honestly was not prepared to lose all of my serenity to children. Have you ever been serene, Joshua? Did you lose serenity? Yes, I lost serenity. <laughs> you and I are both avid book readers. And this is true. book reading ability has gone down significantly with each additional child. I think you would agree. Oh, I've read a lot more children's books, though. Yes, but those don't count. You should try that. <laughs> Big picture, board books. <laughs> you read a lot of books, a lot of kid books. So my second one kind of goes hand in hand with that and the first one, which is about being intentional with your time. Um, that kids make you very aware of your downtime and your free time to do the things that you want to do. So this kind of goes back to my first one, which is that you're never ready or prepared Um, Part of that is in understanding your time, as simple as it taking an extra 15 minutes to put them to bed or put them in a car before you go somewhere or taking them to the bathroom when you're out shopping or cooking for extra people and then cleaning up after those little people. um, Eating the extra food. Eating the extra food that they don't eat. Takes more time. um, Putting them to sleep. All of these things are... um, they eat into the time that you once thought was your own. And I don't think that we consider the fact that, you know, our time is not ours just to be spent on our things. They're supposed to be used for God's purposes. And then God sends these little people that consume all of your quote, free, free time. (laughs) All your God time. (laughs) Yes. God gives us a vocation of parenthood that has an immediate and direct impact on our time. And we realize, oh, um, I have to be very specific about the things that I'm doing, when I'm doing them, how I'm doing them, and what they um, keep me from doing. Kids keep us from reading books, but reading books also keeps us from spending time with our kids. And you have to be intentional about all of that time. Agreed. So um, I'm at number three. And I suppose my third thing would be that no one told me how strong 
having children would make you um, mentally strong, emotionally strong, um, physically strong. You realize that you can survive on limited amounts of sleep. You realize you can survive with yelling children and you can wipe that nose for the 18th time in the past 10 minutes. You can do all of these things that you just didn't even realize you were able to do and and you grow in your strength. And it's, I guess, a maturation process as well. You, You can't mature without some of these little rocks in your oyster and the pearls that they produce of strength and ability that are far beyond what you would have thought yourself capable of is amazing. So I, I, I don't think anyone told me that I would grow. And granted, I am not completely strong. There's a lot of ways in which I'm weak, but I didn't realize that I would gain some of the strength that I've gained from having these three little people. I've always been weak and refused to work out. <laughs> so my strength has remained the same with my children, including insomnia and ability to put down strong drink. Um, my third thing is um, a little bit more theologically minded, and that is that children are born moral agents. Um, we both come from a church background and tradition that uh, speaks kind of flippantly about an age of accountability um, and things of that sort that attempt to minimize the spiritual and moral impact of little children. And it is one thing to affirm the theological statement or the theological statements associated with um, total depravity, as I jokingly referred to beforehand, as I've heard other theologians say um, that children are born vipers in a diaper, this idea that they are sinful from birth, but the fact that they are sinful from birth means that they are moral agents. We believe that they are morally opposed to God's law and opposed to God's nature. And it's not enough to just stop there, that as parents, you are required to to train them up and to teach them not as empty slates or empty tablets that need instruction from the foundation, but that they are born to be human beings who intercede for each other and interact with each other. Um, This is why we see children fighting over toys and fighting over which book we're going to read. Those are all opportunities to instruct them in obedience to God's law and obedience to God's word as human beings. They're persons. They have moral integrity or moral disintegrity with one another. And you have to begin that instruction um, much earlier, I think, than some people tend to emphasize it. I mean, for particularly for theological traditions that practice infant baptism, um, we're stating that God has made a claim on their lives and their actions through the pouring on of baptismal waters. And it's up to parents to then treat them as individuals and instruct them as individuals who have a moral responsibility before God for every single one of their actions. Agreed. Like Charlotte Mason says, they're born people. We will not read any unabridged 
versions of classics to our children. Because that makes them bad people? No, because that's saying that they're not born people. <laughs> okay, that's probably not true, but I am anti-abridged classics, in case you haven't. In case you couldn't tell by that statement. Is that the fourth thing you wish people had yes. told you? Yes, yeah, stay away from the abridged versions. 